Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Peterson Car Stories podcast. I'm your host, Patrick, with my co-host, Daniel, right here. Say hi, Daniel. Hello. And Alois is here, as per usual. And our special guest today is none other than our coworker, certified badass. This man flies planes, drives cars, and generally just... And boats. And boats. I mean, what, what, what can't you do, Dana? Dana Williamson, everybody. I can't think of anything. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, he's that cool. He's also good friends with Jay Leno, just if you didn't know. This man, just... Where do you even start with you? I've worked with you for two and a half years, and you, there's, I'm still learning stuff about you every day, man. This is crazy. Isn't it crazy? It is crazy. Crazy yeah, for me, too. So tell our audience, uh, where did you grow up? Where did it all start? I'm from the East Coast. I'm a Boston kid. Boston. Boston. Yes. Yes, sir. So I uh, grew up on the East Coast and moved here full time about uh, 10 years ago. Okay. So uh, so what do you do here at the museum? Like, What's, uh, like, what's, a, what's a day in the life for Dana Williamson? Well, you know what? So here at the museum, I am the conservator slash manager of the collection. So basically, I have a team that's in charge of uh, ma- maintaining, preserving, restoring all the vehicles in the collection. So it's kind of like they're all our children, and we have to take care of them and figure out the logistics and maintenance. You know, anything that uh, uh, needs to be done, it comes under our our department. That's, I mean. You got a pretty good department you run. Homies with everybody on it. You're also uh, the in-house race car driver. You drive everything cool and scary, especially the scary ones. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, when you get to my age and you survive this long, you figure, what the heck, you know, <laughs> what else could be dangerous? So what's, I am. what's the scariest vehicle in our collection, you believe, that you've taken up to speed? Oh, boy. Uh, okay, we have a... a a car old yeller too, mm. uh, which mm-hmm. was a Max Belchowski creation. Uh, this was number two. I think he did like 12 or 13 of these cars. And it's a lightweight aluminum body with a big Buick nail head in it. And so there is absolutely no weight over the rear end. There's absolutely no traction. So unless you're going in a straight line, you don't want to step on the gas. So uh, I've driven it uh, at uh, Willow Springs and Thermal Racetrack, and it's uh, it's a beast to keep going where it should be going, you know. So which which car is your favorite to drive? XKSS. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you already knew that, right? Yeah. yeah so uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to uh, drive frequently uh, Steve McQueen's uh, Jaguar 57 Jaguar XKSS, which. Uh, if you think of badass cars, I would say it's it's a badass car. Oh, yeah. Basically, for those who don't know what an XKSS is, it's a D-type racing Jaguar that was just converted to be a road car because Jaguar, you know, backed out of their racing program, had all these D-types, didn't know what to do with them, and they said, let's sell them to the American market, you know? Those people are crazy enough to drive these on the road, so perfect. What's the, the quickest you've taken that car, give or take? It's hard to say. Uh, I could get in trouble for giving you know okay. actual numbers. So what's the statute of limitations? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, is it is it scary at at high speeds? No, it it, it really the, isn't. Okay. I mean, it, it handles extremely well. I, and I would say, uh, I haven't used it as a track car, yeah. but I was lucky enough to um, drive it in a rally uh, in Florida, oh, in, wow. in which uh, it was sponsored by Jaguar. We drove, it was a D-type XKSS reunion, so we drove the cars uh, from Amelia Island to the Jacksonville Zoo, because the Jacksonville Zoo had a had live jaguars that roamed in a <laughs> compound, so 
we drove the our cars into the compound and the cats just walked all around them that but is so cool why we were so <laughs> why we were so lucky is this was uh we had the police escort for to ride on it and uh, i was the lead car and i said to the officer i said so how fast can i go he said see if you can keep up with me so you know i would say we were um it was over 120 but i i'm just gonna say that so that's oh, fine i mean you have the police permission so oh yeah i had nothing to do with that <laughs> i just i just don't wouldn't want anyone at the museum to think that oh, i wasn't respectful definitely. of what i oh, was driving i mean those things You're are respectfully built driving over 120 yes <laughs> yes <laughs> of course on a public road come on yeah, yeah. you know what kind of trouble could i get in so jacksonville jaguars I'm, inter definition. I'm interested in your your background what was one of your like first cars or first automotive memory let's and uh let's start with that um well we had uh we had a farm in new hampshire mm -hmm. and we had uh tractors so uh i guess my first experience would be my dad put these big wooden blocks on the pedals of the tractor and i used to take it out in the field and drive it all over the place and so it didn't matter you know i couldn't hit anything because it was just an open and field and how old were you I was probably, let's see, I would probably be in second, third grade. Oh. Yeah, it was early. It was early. Okay. So um, that would be my first experience. I would say my first car that was actually what I commuted in, like I drove to high school. Mm -hmm. um, most people were driving to high school and like, uh, you know, they had an MG or they had some cool car. I had a 59 Chevy and okay. it was a car that had these huge wing fender, uh, wings on the back. Mm -hmm. And the trunk, you could actually open it and live in it. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> it was an apartment on wheels. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I, so I was not a cool kid going to high school on that thing. Yeah. Now it's now it's you know a classic collector's True. item. Back then, it was just a big piece of metal. You know, okay. so that was my first car. It beats my Ford Explorer taking that to school every day. So there you go. Where, where well, did I don't know about that? Where did you go to school? Uh, I went. What did you go to school for, and where did you go? I went to grammar school uh, in Wakefield, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I um, went to Northeastern University in mm -hmm. Boston and got my degree in civil engineering. Mm. And then I did a fellowship at MIT in naval architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I left MIT, I started my own business. Mm. And um, which was, which was, which was, <laughs> uh, it was basically a, a display business. I really enjoyed, you know, doing things. And mm. when I went on interviews, you know, for after college for different jobs, you know, they'd say, oh, well, this is your cubicle. This is where you're going to design this. And this is, and that wasn't my thing. You know, I needed to be out in it. I needed to, uh, you know, be creating things myself and not just drawing something so some, someone mm -hmm. else could create it. So um, we built, uh, we built sets for um, uh, commercials, uh, movies that may have been shot in town uh, we built a uh, when they shot the brinks job in boston we built one of the safes mm. uh, a faux safe so that the guys could break into it you know sure. like they did in the um, in the real story so um so i did that and then <clears throat> i always had a lot uh, always in the back of the shop uh, i would have motorcycles or cars and I would work on those and then have, you know, and then I would take some of the guys off what they were doing mm -hmm. and then have them work on those with me. And so we had like a, a small restoration shop that was in, in back of our display shop. Um, I was always into art. So we mm -hmm. also had a division that would do serographs, which are silkscreen prints. Yep. So we got the Meridian 
hotel chain as a client. And so we were doing all the art prints that would hang in the, all over the world in the Meridian hotels. Mm. Uh, so that kind of uh, widened my um, traveling experience. Sure. And, um, but also when all of this was going on, and I'm talking about driving tractors and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. When I was, um, I think it was 14 years old, I had my first uh, airplane ride. Uh, same thing out of a cornfield, riding in an old Piper J3. Um, the fellow that owned it was a crop duster. Oh, and he I used was going to ask, was that a crop yeah, duster? Yeah, he used yeah. to, um, you know, dust for um, uh, apples, yeah, yeah. you know, apple trees and mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. like that. And he was crazy. You know, I mean, one time I went up with him and we we landed on a on a main street of a little town in Maine, pulled <laughs> up to because it, it it would burn. Uh, it could burn uh, automotive fuel. So we would just taxi up to the pump at the gas station. We'd fill it up, you know, the good old days. Yeah, I'm talking about, you know, early 60s and, and whatnot. And would they the airplane to the gas station? I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. What was that? You took the airplane to the gas station? Yes, we would take the airplane <laughs> to the gas station. What With a Piper J3, you would just pull up nose first to the pump and you get as close as you could without tearing up the pump with the prop, you know? Yeah. And the gas tank was right there. You take the hose and you just put it in and pump the airplane full what of fuel. What a picture. Yeah. So, did, did you get your parents' permission, or did they know about? Oh this? no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's no. what I figured. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. no. So, it, was it one of those "Don't tell your parents"? Yes, okay. it was because this introduced me to extreme attitude flying. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this, which which is what's that? It, it means uh, upside down, straight up, straight down. Any kind of attitude that's unusual to be flying in. You know, straight and level is the usual attitude. Yeah. Anything else, you know, okay. is unusual. Um. So that, you know, the adrenaline rush was really, really something. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, this guy was nuts. So, you know, dusting apple trees, he would fly under high tension wires. He would do all sorts of wow. stuff. Needless to say, you know, a few years later, I'd heard that he lost his license, you know, to fly. I wonder why. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Come on. Um, Who would have thought? So then I started uh, seeking my own uh, license, mm -hmm. private aircraft license, and private pilot license, single engine aircraft. Uh, and then I started to study with this group in Haverhill, Mass called Dutton's Devils, mm. and um, started flying aerobatics with them in a decathlon. Uh, and then I so how are how old are you at this point when you got your uh, pilot's license? I got my pilot's license when I was same as when I got my uh, driver's license, probably around sixteen, seventeen. Um, <laughs> just casually, just yeah. casually, you know, you know, just racking up licenses, like degree, you, you know. Um, and then from uh, so then from this decathlon, I started to fly a, a T twenty eight, T thirty four, which were. World War II trainers, they were transition aircraft, teaching pilots from World War II to transition into jet aircraft for uh, Korea. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really, uh, that brought the aerobatics to a whole new level. So I started flying aerobatics and air shows, and uh, uh, it was pretty exciting. And um, Any close calls? You had to have at least a couple. One. Okay. One. What yeah. happened? Um, well... <laughs> For those who know flying, uh, if you're coming into a very tight airstrip that's maybe really short and has uh, uh, high or vertical obstacles on either end, mm -hmm. you have to come over those like treetop and then just drop drop in. And the way you do that is you slip the aircraft in. So in other words, you're basically flying sideways 
And as you fly sideways, you're able to reduce your airspeed and you have a very high descent rate. And you can just come in, straighten out, and land. Uh, but if you get the nose too high, the plane stalls. So I was coming mm -hmm. into a very short runway and had my nose a little too high. And the plane started to, to roll mm -hmm. into a, to a stall. And luckily, I was, you know, able to uh, push the stick forward, put the power on and everything, and, and save it. But it was like everything was just straightened out, and you're just about ready, and bam, you hit the ground. So that was wow. kind of scary. But. Just a stomach in, your, stomach in your mouth type of moment right there. Yeah, exactly. So I switched to helicopters after that. <laughs> <laughs> so this was simultaneously whilst you were also doing your creative business? Oh, yes, absolutely. So it was all at the same time. It was all at the same time. I, and I mean, you had mentioned, uh, I was always seeking adventure. Mm. And I would never say, geez, I don't think I can do that. Or I can't do that. So I would try anything. And, yeah, yeah. And, and if you think it, you can actually do it. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that, that, you know, if you can picture it in your mind, you can tackle it and you can do it. So at this time, I was, yes, so I started racing SCCA, you know, sports cars. Mm -hmm. I was racing motorcycles. I was racing sailboats. I was, uh, I was on the Junior Olympic ski team when I was, when I was 15. You know, mm -hmm. so all of these things I was doing at the same time, you know, and just, you know, I don't know. I was just getting everything I could out of life, you know. And... And right now I can sit here and I can say I have no regrets mm. because anything that I've, I've really wanted to do or tried to do, I've done, I've done or attempted it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like people say, wow, have you ever skydived? And I say, oh, no, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> that's one thing I will do. I'm afraid of heights. And they say, wait a second. You fly wait, <laughs> how can you be afraid of heights? Yeah. But I am. When I'm in an aircraft and I'm strapped down and I'm, you know, uh, I feel like part of the aircraft. Mm. So I feel connected. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I have something on my back and then I'm pushed out of an airplane and I'm just free falling, that, that's not my thing. So I mean, yeah. there are things I won't do. But Understandably. I mean, why would you want to jump out of a perfectly flying plane? That's what I say. If I jump out, it's because the plane's wings fell off or yeah. something. That's the only reason I'm yeah, going to yeah. jump out. I want to jump out of every airplane. What? I, I, it's just, I want to get that skydiving license where you, just, you don't have to be tethered to anybody. Yeah. I'm, have you done it yet? I haven't had the time. Yeah, uh, I haven't been able to find the time, but I do want to try to get those twenty-five jumps in, and then I can just absolutely freestyle everything. I want to. I'm good on that. I want to be that those guys like straps uh, that strap the snowboards to their feet when they jump out of the plays and oh, just like oh, oh. ski, it's like snowboard through the air, controlled absolutely descent. Insane. I'm an idiot. So that's uh your words, not ours. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> I'd agree on that. I mean, I have the office idiot. Usually, actually, actually, I think you're. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I think there's. You're right. That's Daniel's role. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Daniel so, it didn't come from me. Yeah. You saw that, right? Uh, yeah. I pissed this guy off enough. So I almost oh. punched you today. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> so, growing up in New England, were you always a boater? Did you always like um, sail or? Um, yeah. 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 It, when I was, as a matter of fact, when I was 13 years old, mm -hmm. I built a sailboat in my parents' garage. And, you know, I had very supportive parents. Mm. So I'm Clearly. 13. I don't even have a license, right? So yeah. my mother would drive me to a lumberyard, and she would just sit there and wait for me, and I would pick through wood, and I'd bring it home. And a neighbor up the street brought me a, a power saw because my father couldn't do anything. He couldn't hammer a nail in straight, the poor guy. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I built this boat. It was 11 feet long. Uh, it was a little sloop, a little mm -hmm. dinghy, 
And my parents towed me, you know, to Gloucester and Rockport, and I yeah. sailed it all over the East Coast. And wow. one, <laughs> one day, my brother and I, my brother is six years younger. So now I am, I'm 14, so that makes him uh, eight, mm-hmm. right, if my math is correct. Mm. So we had the great idea that we would go up to, there was an island off the shore of New ha- uh, Rye, New Hampshire. It was called uh, Star Island. It was 10 miles out to sea. So I convinced them that we should make some sandwiches and sail out to this island. <laughs> so my, my, da- my dad... It's an eight-year-old to cross a 10-mile channel. <laughs> so, my da- so my dad takes us up there, and he says, so where are you going to sail, guys? And I said, oh, Dad, we're going to sail around the harbor. And he goes, oh, oh of course. Okay. Around, around the what? Harbor. Oh, harbor. A, you know, harbor. Harbor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I'm speaking Boston, so Boston. I apologize it's, for that. No, no, no. So um, he says, all right. He said, all right, well, I'll be back in a few hours. And I said, yeah, that, that's great. So my brother and I go, and we start off. And I, we weren't very far off off the coast, and, and the Coast Guard came. Oh, of course. And, uh, you know, and he says, hey, uh, are you, lost? you in the little boat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And I said, oh, my brother and I, we're going out to uh, Alza Shoals. He goes, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, come on. He said, do your parents know you're out here? And I said, yeah, of course. My dad dropped us off. <laughs> He goes, no, no, no. Do they know you're out here? <laughs> so actually, they towed us back in. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, a 13 so, and a six-year-old in yeah. a so wow. In an 11-foot rowboat, basically with a sail. Did you ever get to the island, though? Uh, later. Okay. Later on. Yeah. Yeah, later <laughs> Coast Guard's on. like, uh, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> that's that's a good stuff. Man, I wish I got pulled over by the cops more. I'd have such a cooler childhood. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. Dan, Dan is cooler than me. Well, I, I I don't know about that. He's I mean, better than all of us. I'm sorry. My, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. My dad was a Coast Guardsman during the Second World War. Mm. And so growing up, uh, of course, he kept his sailor suit and a few other things. So growing up, I had a little sailor suit, and uh, I used to play sailor with him. Mm. So he had a bosun's whistle, and when I came through the front door, he would pipe me on like I was going on the ship. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was always something sea-related or, uh, you know, uh, coastal related when I was growing up. So I think that's kind of where the, the boat thing came in. So would you rather be in the air, water, or on the road if you had to pick one? I can't. You know what? I can't. Um, <laughs> I, I love, uh, for instance, I get I have a boat in San Diego, so I'm, I drive down to San Diego, which is not fun. So mm-hmm. that part yeah, of being on never. land is not fun. Yeah. Never fun. That drive, forget it. It took me crazy. two hours to get to San Clemente the other day, and then two hours to get to San Diego from San Clemente the other day. I've gone sometimes, and it's taken me four and a half hours just to get to San Diego. You know, when you go down by... Um, uh, Pendleton? Pendleton. Yeah. And it's just, you just sit there. There's no exits. There's nothing. You no, can and you know what? <laughs> there's no explanation for this traffic, because all the uh, before you know it, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why? Where did it go? What's the point of this? Mm -hmm. And then, like, sometimes if you're on that stretch of road, like, I remember one time I was on the five right there, passing Pendleton, and an Osprey landed, like, right next to us, like, right there. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. Like, a Chinook and an Osprey just land right next to the freeway. And I thought, is this, is it like a military exercise? Turns out an entire chicken truck burnt down, and they were helping out the first responders. Chicken truck. Full of chickens. The chickens all died. Wings and thigh. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was, it well, was overcooked. Wings and thighs. I, hate so, to say. I see. Well done. Just, just a bit overcooked. Well done. Sorry. So, Sorry um, for the chickens. Yeah. I mean, tying the Peterson. So, how did you come across the Peterson? How did you land here? Was that a pun? Uh, okay. You know what? <laughs> you know what they say? Everything, everything is timing. Everything's about timing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if the timing is right, anything can happen. So, uh, 
my wife worked in the industry, uh, the theatrical industry. So mm-hmm. um, we were what we call bi-coastal. Mm-hmm. So for 20 years, uh, we had a, an apartment here in, in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and a house back east. And I would come out here every, we never had kids, so it was possible to do this. Mm-hmm. We had two little dogs. I used to come out every other weekend for three days, mm-hmm. a three-day weekend. Mm-hmm. And then um, she would come back east during the summer because the studios closed down. Uh, she would come out on holidays. And so we were doing this. And finally, we were saying, you know, this is crazy. Oh, I said it. <laughs> I said, this is crazy. I'm getting too old for this, you know, uh, being this bi-coastal thing. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, I had a um, general contracting company at the time, uh, small, we did mostly re- renovations. So I came out and I said, I'm going to give it a month and I'll see if I can find something that I really enjoy, you know, that can use a lot of my talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give it a month. So I came out and um, not having anything to do after like two days, I was bored out of my skull, you know, mm. sitting in the apartment. So I said, Peterson Automotive Museum. I've never been there. I think I'll just go down and see what's going on. Came to the museum. I think it was about like 10 in the morning. Went in and I'm looking at uh, the cars and the dioramas and things. And and, uh, I said, wow, this is really cool. So when I was leaving, I went to the security office and I said, hey, do you know, um, do they have any positions open here of, of any kind? And there was a young woman standing there who turned out she was the director's assistant mm. uh, or secretary, personal assistant. And she said, oh, you know, the um, uh, one of the managers just left. Uh, our collection manager just left. So we have a position open. And she said, would you like to apply for it? I said, sure. And she said, all right, well, email your resume and a cover letter and all that, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I went back to the apartment. And my wife was there, and she said, what happened? I, I told her. She goes, okay. I said, so I'm going to email. She goes, don't email it. It's just down the street. Take it back there. <laughs> so I drove back to the museum, mm. and uh, I gave, uh, gave this woman my uh, resume and cover letter, and she said, oh, you could have emailed it. The boss, the boss says, <laughs> I, I got to drop it off. <laughs> so I dropped it off. I'm driving back now to the apartment, and my cell phone rings. And it's the museum. And I said, oh, wow. She said, I'd like to set up an interview (laughs) with you. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, when? And she said, "Uh, uh, in an hour. (laughs) I said, oh, crap. You know? So went home, took a shower, changed, whatever, came back, and they hired me two weeks later. Wow. So then I closed, went back east, closed everything up, and then moved out here full time. This is meant to happen. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, I'm a firm believer of that, you know? Um, you take you take one step and then you kind of put it out there and wait for the next step to be revealed to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, if you have confidence and faith in yourself, that next step is always revealed. And, and sure. you know, you just have to be aware enough, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to uh, to recognize it. So hmm. that's it's the most Dana story I've ever heard. God damn. <laughs> damn. Yeah. That's speaking of wisdom over here. Yeah. What's the best some of the best advice you've ever received? Um, just in life or well I received some advice and they said don't get married but it's too late for that I, <laughs> I, I've, I've been married over 30 years so, <laughs> so uh, no no I, I, I think you know you, you watch all these shows and somebody who is very successful or came from nothing and becomes very successful they always say just follow your dream you know mm-hmm. which is the, the hardest thing to do and it's almost a little corny too it is <laughs> But what I'm saying is if you really have an interest, 
you know, it uh, doesn't mean you're going to do exactly the thing that you may want to, oh, so if you, if you love Formula One and you say, I, I want to be a Formula One driver, you know, <laughs> doesn't mean that you can't do something in Formula One, but yeah. there's a possibility that you might not reach, you know, the grid. So mm -hmm. yeah. Somebody's always got more money. That <laughs> well, you got a, a true cynic over here. It's all about the money. Right? Oh, it is, man. I'm, oh, there's, I'm down there's the a hill. Little, you gotta have a little bit of talent. Well, of course, but look at Lance Stroll right now. Just saying. Um, but for F1, yes, I'm glad somebody laughed at that. That's that's a discussion for another day. What, F1. What's one car? What's one car in the collection that you um, always wanted to drive and hasn't had the hey, opportunity? You found to. the microphone. That's crazy. Oh. Uh, uh, I I'm in a great position that I've driven most of the cars here at the museum. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, um, but I've always kind of a people could call. I've always wanted to drive the Detroit Electric. We <laughs> have a, we have a 1915 Detroit Electric, you know, one of the first electric cars. Mm -hmm. And you know, I would just I've driven the Teslas and, yeah. and you know uh, Fiskers and things like that. And I would just like to to drive it and think, you know, okay, 100. You know, 110 years ago, I mean, this was an electric car. So I'd like to drive that. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, you gotta give you gotta give me a ride in the Mercer. That's like he all. Whenever we walk by it, he's always like, "Dude, I'm dying to get a ride in this." He's like, "Dana, you're gonna die if you do that." Well, you, it's you a need scary, to get it started. That's the scariest car, in my opinion, the whole collection. Okay. Uh, really? Yeah. The reason the reason uh, he's saying it's it's the scariest car. So we call it America's first supercar. This is a car that was that was built in 1913 in Delaware, all right? It has no front brakes, just rear brakes, and they're band brakes. Uh, so in order to get enough brake pressure to actually stop the car, you have to step on the brake pedal and also pull the handbrake at the same time. And that way you hope to get enough pressure on the, on the rear brake uh, bands to be able to stop the car. Um, it has wooden spokes. Uh, it uh, has two bucket seats which only just hold your butt. I mean, you could easily fall out. Um, it takes four hands to drive it, basically, um, and you only have two, so you know, you, you're you working all the time. Like, like, give us an example, like what are you doing? Okay, um, so let's, from the very beginning, you go yeah. out, you wanna start the car. Okay. Yeah. So what you do is you, uh, with, the, with everything off, you go and you crank, it's a hand crank engine, you crank it over two or three times. Okay. okay. Then you go and you have to uh, get fuel pressure. So next to the driver's seat, there's a little plunger. Yeah, yeah. Up and down. That's what that is. So yeah. you have to get up to, you know, maybe two, three pounds of fuel pressure. And in order to do that, you have to pump it maybe 120 or more times, just up and down, Jesus. to get the God. fuel pressure. Um, so one, and once you get the, once you get oh the fuel God, pressure, um, you uh, go out and you crank it again to get some fuel in the in, system. In the lines, yeah. Then you come back in, you turn on the ignition, um, and then you get back out. And there are certain settings for spark advance and or retard and and throttle. And then you crank it two or three more times, and it should start. So it's kind of like a built-in theft device, you know? It takes you 20 minutes to but start But once it. you got it started and once you want to start driving, okay. what do you have to do during... So once you get it started and once you start driving, uh, you have to watch and maintain fuel pressure. So every once in a while, the fuel pressure starts to go down, so you got to give a few more pumps on the fuel pressure. And there's also another plunger right beside the fuel, mm -hmm. and that's for oil pressure. Mm -hmm. So 
anything over 40 miles an hour, you can tend to lose some oil pressure. So you're going to pump and pump up the oil pressure. Um, and like I said, you know, you have to keep advancing uh, uh, the spark. You, you, um, uh, the steering wheel, the brake. You know, you're just on top of the whole thing uh, all the way along. That's why. Usually, if you were driving the Mercer, you would have a mechanic that rides with you mm -hmm. because there's also like dual controls. He can pump the fuel. He can pump the oil. He can, you know, uh, turn the uh, the mags. And, and I'm sure and you're going to need the extra weight if you're taking a turn, too, like if it was in a race. Well, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, and, and it's very stiff, so it's okay. very rickety. So it it's not forgiving. So if you go into a turn and you're, you're too fast, it's just going to go. It's yeah, not going to give you any warning. Uh, I've had it up to probably about 45 plus miles an hour. That's it? Yeah, and it's a scare. You're <laughs> kidding me, that's it? So <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's scary. But it will, it, it had the capability. Uh, it was advertised to do 85 miles an hour back in 1913. Jesus. Oh so, yeah. I love to experience that because I feel like that's still the time, that's still the time where um, you are one with the car and it's um that's and it's true. almost a tango that you have to do with the car to get it running the car has to like you always like to say you know you have to it's have true a lot of um that's when know. they called it it was like a symphony yes, you know yes, and, yes, and you yes, end yes. up being the conductor and you've got to get all these things to work mm -hmm. uh, i mean nowadays you know we're close to autonomous cars and uh, you just listen to the symphony there's nothing you can do you know, Mozart, whatever you want to listen to, but you can't yeah. touch anything. So. so is that like when I'm watching like the Goodwood revival, uh, like racing and stuff, these older pre-war, pre-World War One vehicles, there's yeah. always two dudes in it. Yeah, that's that, right. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered that. I, I, I always thought it'd be like a little more weight, but now that you mentioned it, yeah, you need a little bit more than just two hands. To well, like the, right. the craziest thing is when you see them like doing Laguna Seca and coming down and it's just like oh my god and they're they're literally like oh just, coming down the corkscrew yeah, yeah. there's no stopping <laughs> oh, it, it's crazy and they're all in their like white little suits matching and, and the tires are so skinny there's actually when you think about the pad of traction that they have is yeah, it's like this. It's the size of a quarter yes on four corners exactly like so. i remember me and daniel were watching them do it at uh, car week last year they were throwing these things like hucking them into corners and like they were like skating a little yeah bit they were drifting car. they yeah. were power sliding these old pre-world war one cars like damn yeah hope those wheels don't I break hope they're not dead in 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah scary really wow. scary yeah so so out of all of the machines that you fly take out in the ocean drive or anything else which one do you have the most emotional connection to it's like, what's your personal favorite story or one wow. of each even? Um, okay, for automobiles, when I came here, I was always a Steve McQueen fan. And I came to the museum and wow, here is the car of the cars, the Jaguar and the uh, actor, the king of cool, right? Mm -hmm. This was his car. Still is, honestly. It still is. So one day, um, I, you know, I, I found out that his first wife who actually wrote the check and bought this car for him because mm. he was unemployed at the time, mm. um, was around and she lived in, in Century City. So and I don't remember how I did, but I found her phone number mm. and I said, I'm going to give her a call. Pro probably in the white pages. 
Patrick oh. doesn't know what that is. What's oh. a white piece? Oh, that's what you used to sit on when you couldn't when you couldn't see out the the windshield. <laughs> no. Is that what the f- no. is that it's what the phone book? What's a phone book? Everyone's name was listed in, in the white and pages. Okay. And yeah. Yeah, well, we had the white pages, everybody's name and phone, and then we had the yellow pages which was all businesses. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I remember seeing and it those was usually commercials. The, yellow, the, the yellow pages was usually about 3 inches thick, <laughs> yeah. and that's what you would use. They would always say, "Well, we'll give them give them a phone book." That meant that you could sit on the phone book and you could raise your height by about three inches. So can't relate. Just so. anyway, I understand. <laughs> we're, we're talking when dinosaurs, you know, just became extinct, and that was about that time. Um, so I, I I called her and she actually answered, mm. and I said, "Wow!" You know, I was I was blown away. Explained to her who I was, and I said, um, "Would you be willing to answer some questions about uh, Steve's uh, XKSS and?" And she said, only if you take me to lunch. And I was blown away. And she's, I said, to lunch? She said, yes, of course, it has to be my favorite place. Okay. So she liked this restaurant called Medeo. Uh, I took her to lunch. And um, she had all these McQueen stories. Uh, and she uh, debuted a lot of uh, stories that weren't true. And uh, we, we became friends. So we have lunch, you know, often now. And, and, and that was 10 years ago. And so that connection gave me a stronger connection to the King of Cool's car. Mm. And um, so when I drive that car, it's, it's, it's really a whole, a whole bunch of emotions. Not like just driving a cool car from a cool guy. It's mm. just like really, really special. Um, sailing, I, I have an old sailboat and, and you know, it's, it's, I, I call it to all my nieces and nephews a pirate ship. I do have, I do have two cannons on board. I have a I have a half Not scale. Not a camera, like an actual. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a Leica or a Canon. No, this is an actual Canon. It's a. We got two Canons looking at us right now. It's actually. a. It's yeah. a half scale six pounder uh, in the bow, and then I have a, a black powder Canons, and then I have a rat tail Canon in the stern. So you know, it's. Have you shot them? Uh, yeah, except the the half scale six pounder, I haven't. You know. don't, don't you have one in your office? That's the six pounder. No, yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, yep. What year is your sailboat from? Oh, it's it's from the seventies, but okay. it's it's old style. Has a big bowsprit and you know stuff like that. I don't so. speak boat very well, so I'll just take your word for it. What, what's her name? Uh, Molly Mackay. Ah. So she was originally registered in in uh, Hawaii. Oh, and Molly Mackay means gentleness toward the sea. So nice. when I purchased the boat, I, I love that name. So I said, I'm not going to change it. Plus, I think it's bad luck when you change it. I was about to say, isn't that the sailor's folklore? Just never change the boat's name. Yeah, it is. And if you do, you have to uh, appeal to, uh, you know, King Neptune and, and you know, <laughs> That sounds do a like a lot ritual. of hassle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worth all the trouble to deal with the god just to change the name, just saying. So, but, so that's, you know, that's another emotional experience sailing. And then... Um, what was the other thing? Oh, in the air. Um, yeah, I have this thing that I want to fly a World War One aircraft. I've never done that. Ooh. You know, like a Newport or a Sopworth or or something like that. So, I think once I get to do that, that'll you know bring me to another emotional level about flying. No, of course. So I'm so. just gonna I'm just gonna infer that you've driven you've flown some pretty cool warplanes. It sounds like <laughs> trainers. Trainers. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I was say like you've flown like a P fifty one or anything. Oh, like I that. wish. Okay. I wish. You know, I, I, I just did the uh, Steve McQueen show this past weekend, and they had aircraft there that flew into the 
Boys Republic uh, cornfield, and they put them on display. And there was a gentleman there from, uh, who is he from? Uh, um, geez, it, it slips my mind now, but it, I think it was a, a airport down near San Diego. And um, he gives dual in uh, P-51s, uh, <laughs> in Harvards, in Texans. These are all names for, you know, other... Uh, oh, yeah, aircraft. No, very Thunderbolt, uh, you know, Hellcat. And it's like, wow, you know, someday I'd love to fly those kinds of planes. But, you know. So we're talking about the Mercer. Yes. Which is, I assume, one of the oldest or amongst the oldest cars that you've driven. Yes. What's the oldest plane that you've flown? The oldest plane was, a ninth, was the uh, J3, which was a 1946 J3. That's Lindbergh times. Yeah, well, it, it's basically, you know, a uh, fabric airplane. It's, you know, just like uh, this one was a cotton fabric that had been painted and coated. <laughs> and, you know, you have to, the way you start the plane is the same <laughs> as the Mercer. You go out front, you click on a magneto, it. and you have to take the propeller and oh my spin God. it around. <laughs> and then eventually it fires. And then as soon as it fires, you have to run around and jump in the plane before it takes off. <laughs> before it leaves <laughs> you behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... You know? I mean, I always I have so much respect. Um, I don't know much about aviation, but I have so much respect when it comes to flying older planes, simply because I like to compare the type of machinery to cars like you just did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I drive a car from the 60s and she breaks down quite often. You know, planes. <laughs> yeah, well, the difference in planes and, and uh, cars, uh, vehicles like that is a plane has to have a hundred hour inspection has to have an annual review. Uh, so in other words, a qualified uh, aircraft mechanic has to sign off on the plane every year. Mm. So usually he tests the fabric, if it's a fabric plane, whatever it is, he tests yeah. compression and all of these things. So usually it's, it, it's pretty safe. I mean, but you're right, old planes, like old cars are old. Anything can <laughs> fracture, anything can fail. Yeah. And, you know. But you do have other safety measurements, of course. Yeah, you jump out. Who, who was it like wasn't it Harrison Ford that was flying and landed in the airport in Santa Monica was He's, it Harrison Ford yeah. has, has landed twice once on a, a golf, golf course, course. Yeah. yeah yeah and then yeah. Um, like in Venice or something like yeah. Mar yep. a Mar Vista area yep. yeah yeah that's that's right imagine you're just like trying to get the parking boot off your car in Venice and then just Harrison Ford just smacks a plane right next to you <laughs> I can't even imagine. That's something that happened at Louisa, honestly. Just just Harrison Ford falls out of the sky. He's like, oh, how are you morning, doing? How are you doing? <laughs> Guys, you won't believe what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have no idea how many times we get that at working with Louisa? After every weekend. Guess who I ran into? Guess I just hitchhiked all the way from Nebraska to here. <laughs> wow. Do you surf, by the way? I was just curious. I'm attempting to, yeah. Oh, okay. I, Great. I, I shredded some barrels. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's attempting, not learning. Not That's learning. okay. <laughs> You'll get there one day. There's a, what, it's that learning curve. You know, it's like it's like this, but then finally when you get there, it's, it's so fantastic. Have, yeah, you, have you ever surfed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, here's, here's of a story. Course he, My, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. What were you expecting? No, you, you this have, is Dana Williamson. Wait, wait, wait. You have to understand. Funny story. True story. So... Um, I'm at North Northeastern <laughs> University yeah. right? in the city of Boston, and I found out they had a surf team. Okay, uh -uh. and I was like, wait a second. And I had surfed a little bit before that, and uh, so I went in, and the next thing I knew, I was president of the surf club. 
you know, at Northeastern. And so when I told, when my wife found out about it after we were married, she goes, mm-hmm. that, no, no, you're lying to me. Yeah. There's no surf in Boston. There's no surf. Anyway, but we used to go to like Nags Head, New Jersey. We used to go up uh, to the coast of New Hampshire. Of course, there you get, you know, one to one to three foot swells. That's yeah, yeah. It. You know, that's, that's the most you would get. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so then... You know, when I would come out here, being by coastal all the time, uh, I had a surfboard, and I used to, you know, that was something you would do early in the morning. And what just, was the local swell in Boston? Where would you go exactly? Well, Boston, there really wasn't, but you could yeah. go. You could go to Cape Cod. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know what Cape Cod is. Yeah. Um, or you could go to uh, Gloucester, Good Harbor Beach in Gloucester, yeah. uh, Wingashik Beach in Gloucester, and you could catch maybe two feet. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I've never heard any good stories about the overhead in. Well, you East know coast. something, Millie. Here's soon as there was a storm, you get a lot of hurricanes. You know, on the east oh, yeah. coast. Yeah. Soon as there's a hurricane, you go down to the beach, you'd see hundreds of surfers down there just waiting. Oh, yeah. You know, and the police are down there saying, "Oh, you can't go out." You know, there's there's eight foot swells out there, and everybody's going, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's do it." I mean, no, now I'm never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, that's cool. So I will say, uh, I've been able to through my brother operate a piece of equipment. A vehicle that mm-hmm. not many people have been able to, uh, and that's been a steam locomotive. Hmm. Um, that was my, my next question: Is what's the most odd vehicle you've actually driven? And I was not expecting a steam locomotive to be on my bingo card. A steam locomotive. My brother uh, was involved with a uh, tourist railroad in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, and they restored a. Um, oh God, it's been so long now. I don't remember the model. But it was a, I think it was a 242, which is the wheel designation, or a 262. Um, and it was a steam locomotive. And I burned coal. And uh, it's the strangest thing to, um, of course, it's powered by steam. And it's all in a valve mechanism, which operates the steam. Mm-hmm. You have this big handle that you push and pull to regulate the steam. Mm-hmm. And then the... the um, uh, it has these butterfly doors, and by butterfly I mean just step on a little pedal, and the doors go like a butterfly wings. That opens to the fire bo- that opens to the firebox, and then the fireman shovels in the coal. It's the dirtiest, <laughs> smelliest because the sulfur from the coal mm. and the coal dust, but the raw torque of a steam locomotive, you know, really? is, is incredible. Yeah, because huh. they, they they'd have to pull like thirty car long trains. Like that, that's you, true. Each yeah. tr- each of those uh, cabins or cars weighs like no no more than 10, pa- 10 tons. Like it's just solid steel. Everything is just solid steel. Sounds like you know what you're talking about there, nerd. Okay, leave. Okay, he's a train guy. <laughs> yes. You can tell. Okay. Okay. Grandpa. Right, so you are also a train enthusiast. Yes. My last name's Thomas. It was a ve- it was a vehicle. You know, it, right, right. Anything with wheels or yeah, like my last name's Thomas. So naturally. The tank engine. There yeah, there you go. I got that. I got that reference. Yeah, you did. You did. So, I grew up the train guy, and then I discovered the beauty of Ferrari, and then I made the transition. Ferrari doesn't make a train. No, but then I saw I, I saw Ferrari. I was like, damn, trains are lame. This thing's cool as hell. There you go. But the inner workings of a train, because like you said, the raw torque that because it's literally just condensed water vapor to the point that you can move a locomotive which weighs around thirty tons. Yeah. It's and, slow getting started, but oh, once it yeah. gets going. Once you build that pressure. And it, have you seen what happens when you overpressurize a locomotive? No, no. tell us. <laughs> it looks like spaghetti explodes at the front. It's all cast iron tubing. And it is the most lethal explosion you could have had in the 1800s. 
before they invented like weaponized they, explosives. Like, were you living? No, no, no. There's like uh, Daniel. You were living in the 1800s. There's a boiler. There's a the boiler. The boiler is lined with all these wood, tubes. How do I call it? Wood. And that's wood how it burned. hits the water. Wood burning car. I mean, yeah, the centuries also seem. Yeah, we but, actually here at the museum have a wood burning car. Oh, we should start it up sometime. We have a green truck. Um, you know, it was uh, they found out during the uh, Second World War. They couldn't get fuel, so farmers couldn't get their produce to market. You know, yeah. so my grandfather built a wood burned car. Yeah, you know what? Inventors uh, found out that uh, charcoal gas was combustible. So if you had a furnace and you could burn wood, create charcoal gas, it could be injected in the intake manifold without any any uh, special equipment or anything. So and as you injected that, you would uh, turn off the fuel. I think it only had like 20, 25% efficiency of fuel. No, of course. But at least it, you were able you know, the, to, move. to move. So if you Google wood-burning cars or trucks, uh, you'll see these, these Fiats and Volvos, these tiny cars with these huge wood furnaces that are in their trunk. Uh, they look pretty weird, but they were functional. They were, yeah, they were a solution. Yeah, they're also uh, those coal-burning cars, like, like you said at Pebble last year. There's that one Citroën. That had the two, the two coal furnaces just hanging off on each mm -hmm. of their front quarter fenders. That was right next to the. Wood yeah, it was right <laughs> next to it, and it uses the methane byproduct to power the car. It is a pathetic thirty horsepower with the methane power, but it, the fact that it was powered by methane was a great way to. Yeah. It was made in the thirties in occupied France, so see that would make sense. Yeah, the in, the ingenuity you get from these inventors in tough times is just. The unyearning human spirit. Why are you looking at me like that, Daniel? Why do you got that grin on your face? I'm trying to switch up the subject now. Oh, you, you do that no matter what. <laughs> Just go for it, dude. It's always very blunt. So, Dana, what's uh, in your car lineup right now? You mean personally? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a sad story. <laughs> um, my you, you have a cool car, though. I, so, when, when my, my daily driver used to be, and will be again, uh, is a 1973 Land Rover Series 388 Sherwood sure Wilbies. Mm -hmm. oh, um, good taste. Damn, I, it, I had, <laughs> it had over 200,000 miles on it, and I lost second and third gear, so I was trying to just you know, run around with first and third. That wasn't doing too good. <laughs> and then it was like I was... I, I only live a mile and a half uh, from the museum, and it turned out I was adding oil every day. So I said, you know, maybe it's time for a rebuild. So I pulled it out, and uh, I'm trying to get it done, um, but it's like a, you know, it's like the contractor's house. His he builds houses for everybody else, never finishes his own, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of uh, you know busy with everything else, haven't been able to. But that's and I have that, and I have a, a 62 BSA B40 motorcycle. So why Land Rover? Oh. oh God, Land Rover has always been a favorite of mine. There's just something about it, you know. It's it's like wow, just cool. I think. For me, it was it was watching all these these shows from uh, you know from way back when these Land Rovers were in the jungle and you know it's all about the excitement and the yeah. joy. There's there's a place there's not a place where that car can't go. That's it's true. Like Dana, there's not a place that Dana can't go. Yeah, there you go. Actually, but no, no. So what <laughs> it is? Your car can't go home with you ever, Daniel. How, how many how many days in a row has it sat in the same spot? Let's just talk about that. Well. We don't need to talk about that, Daniel. That's okay. <laughs> he feels my. He understands my pain. See, yeah. But no, I, I mean, how many cool. times do people commute, right? And they hate their commute and, mm -hmm. and what that, whatever. Me, every time I get in this Land Rover, I get a smile on my face. Man. Same. And it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just great. I, I mean, I was stopped once. I took it to Pebble Beach. 
for one of the years uh, when we were doing sh the show up there, and I got stopped for going too slow <laughs> by the California <laughs> Highway Patrol. So, you know, it does have some drawbacks, but, yeah. you know, it was good. Random question. Sure. Random answer. Lobster rolls, are they overrated? Oh, man. No. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something that... Okay, so lobster rolls, but what you can't get here in Los Angeles that back east is fried clams, Ooh. a good fried clam. You just can't get them. There's a, There's a good spot off of uh, PCH in Malibu, the seafood shack. It's like... Oh, is it really? Pretty good for fried clams. Well, there's a there's also it just opened up on Sunset Boulevard called Salty Salty Girl. It's hmm. a woman from Boston mm -hmm. who um, had a seafood restaurant there and wanted to open up the exact same here. So she ships all the stuff fresh all the time, uh, and it's really great. I mean, it's really uh, she has everything uh, you know fried clams, lobster rolls. Everything. What is it like a twenty five dollar lobster roll? No, no, I think it's thirty five. No. <laughs> I, 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 I don't remember what it was, but, yeah. you know, uh, no, you don't get them like if you go back east and, you know, it's uh, tw uh, twin lobsters for twelve ninety five or something. You, you don't get that out here. Do you travel back a lot? The what? Do you travel back a lot to the east? Not as much as I'd like to. You know, I, I, I love Boston. I love the city. I love the seacoast, Gloucester, mm. Rockport. Uh, but the weather, you know, it's just so limited. It's just like you get two or three months and that's that's it. Summers last way too long. Summers what? I mean, sorry, the winters. Oh, gee. Yes, you're right. The yeah, winters this guy lived in Boston for a while, too. Yeah. So. It, was, it was a good time, though. That's right. You went to school there. Mm -hmm. Five years of my life. And you liked there. it, right? It was a good time. Yeah. When you're in your early 20s. Sure. Yeah. I mean, where else can you have, like, the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Bruins? And I never want to hear talk. Not only that, but like, we'll never bring up Boston sports on this podcast ever again. <laughs> during the summer, it's like, it's so dead because that city is made up with so many college students. They all know? leave. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's kind of boring, but once September rolls around and the sports started up. So. Should have built a boat when you were 13. Then you could have been out sailing. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Pasadena at that point. Yeah. Mm. Um, just wrapping it up, uh, what's your, uh, we ask this to every guest, uh, what's your opinion on EVs? Wow. And, and currently. Know, EV is, is, is a tough question to answer because no matter what I say, there's going to be a lot of people that don't agree yeah you know that's why we ask it it makes things interesting yeah you know what uh, my first really uh experience with an ev is is i borrowed a um tesla model x mm -hmm. and we went to mammoth mountain to ski and we had to stop three times <laughs> you know and even though it was a tesla supercharging station you'd have to wait in line you know, and then you get an opening and it took an hour to charge and then you get, and in the cold weather, the charge didn't hold. So that was like a hassle and that kind of like, oh, this, this sucks. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. how, how do people want to, I mean, that's changing. Mm. Um, I love that there's no emissions uh, when you're driving. I mean, you know, when you have to do something with your batteries and stuff, I'm sure that's not, yeah, mm. whatever. That's a, um, <laughs> there's only one first impression. <laughs> so uh, I, I, would I get an electric car? Yes. Would I go only electric? No. I would get an electric car, but I would also have, you know, a internal combustion car. I, what would it be? Who? What's the dream car, Dana? Like besides the XKSS, if you could just open your you garage one day, I, the no, 250 the GTO. Once I get my Land Rover back on the road, I mean, that's it for me. I, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it. You know, it checks all of my boxes. You know, mm -hmm. maybe that's 
partially jaded. I mean, who can say, oh, yeah, you know what? A few months ago, I drove a 1972 Viper, you know, on, a, on an airstrip at 120, 30 miles an hour, you know? So being here at the museum, you know, has allowed me to do, uh, drive many different cars. Uh, but the Land Rover for me, like I said, checks all the boxes. Yeah. I think non-Land Rover people don't really understand. Probably not. It's really yeah. easy to make fun of you guys. You know what? When I had it, when I had it, my my mother-in-law said to me one day, she said, "Why did you buy a mail truck?" <laughs> I said, "It's not a mail truck. It's a <laughs> Land Rover." You know? But so you know what? Bad. It's like anywhere you go in Europe, it's just Land Rovers. Oh yeah. Here it's Jeeps. Mm-hmm. There it's Land Rovers. True. Or Porsches, right? Yeah. <laughs> Depends where in Europe. Okay. But, um, yeah. Have you ever driven a, a Porsche tractor? Yeah. Really? Actually, yeah. We used to have one in the collection. What about a Lamborghini tractor? No, no. Haven't. What about a Farmall tractor? Also haven't, unfortunately. No. Okay. Just Only um, driven the Porsche tractor and, uh, gosh, I forgot what it's called in English. You know, on the construction site where you have the thing with... A uh, front loader? No. A s- to excavate, excavate, excavator. Excavator. You've driven an excavator? Yes. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up, I have yeah. a question for you three. Okay. We're co-workers. We spend a lot of time together. But I don't know what you guys' dream car would be. Eloisa, oh, what would your dream car be? Oh, please start off on this. Oh, okay. I let the question so, s- New, like current car or just all? Any, uh, to drive. If I you mean, were to open your garage and something were to magically appear, what would you really want that car to be? Ooh. Patrick? It's tough. It's a tough question. You want a running Land Rover? (laughs) 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 I get it. Oh my God. That's what's funny. That's the best singer I could have ever dreamed of. (laughs) For the record, my car is running and driving. For how much longer? That's true. (laughs) (laughs) For how much longer, Daniel? That is true. I saw him driving it the other day. How long was your car sitting in that spot in the parking lot? Because I didn't have time to fix it, <laughs> so I did. I can't believe I got caught on camera. <laughs> that was that was the greatest. Okay, so, to answer the question, if I were to open my garage and have something replace my Lexus, I don't know, it would be a 1991 Nissan GTR R32 Skyline. Really? Yes. Oh, I'm surprised. Really? Yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just. I, I. I did. I thought European rather than Japanese. You see. I try to hide the cringy Japanese fan inside me because oh, I see. Japanese car fans tend to be like 14-year-olds who just found out what car culture is. He's not too far away. Yeah, shut up, Daniel. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> some people growing, like nowadays, like such ease the internet with kids, they just are exposed to like GTRs and Supras and RX-7s just like, just launching flames <laughs> out the back, doing donuts, drifting. Right. I never outgrew that phase. Well, well you know what? I... <laughs> I can see a little bit because back when I was a kid, you know, it was either Chevys or Fords. You didn't have a large variety. And these things, you know, Chevys and Fords back then you could get for short money. I mean, nowadays, uh, you know, the older Japanese cars you can get for short money and you can do anything to them. I mean, you can, I mean, they also go for big money. I was about to say, if only that, dude, 2016, I could have imported one of those R32s for 17 grand. See? Do you know how much they are now? $82,000. Well, you have to look for something older. The 92? I mean, they only made the, that generation from 89 to 92. How about a Honda 600? Those are cool. Yeah. I do not hate those, but okay. I'm going to shove a B18 in there. Okay. I know way too much about Japanese motors. I just don't really bring it up too much. Anyways, to answer your question. Anyway. Yes. Um, okay, that was rude. <laughs> don't need to say it like that. <laughs> 
honestly, I think it would be a Land Rover Defender 110. Mm, nice. A US spec one, because those are the big they've, money. They've gone, yeah, they've gone crazy. Yeah, know, that's at least wise. 90 to 100 now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just because they only imported those for like four years into the US. And they're, um, and they're reliable. <laughs> that's a good joke. Not only that, but they could hold like a ton of people. They have the, the two um, two seats facing each other in the way back, mm-hmm. which I think is just so cool, even though I would probably never be back there and have someone driving my car if I had that. But um, yeah, again, it could take you anywhere. It could be a family car. Yeah. And it, it is it, cool looking. Oh, yeah. For me. And it feels like you're, Land Rover, uh, it feels you're, like you're going Land Rover. on an adventure every time you See? hop in. And it's timeless. And I'm sure you have experienced in your truck. And I have too. You get those thumbs ups. All the time. Know? Yeah. So. And you get the people beeping at you to move out of the way. But <laughs> And? Um... Uh, Okay, so I'm like. It can be a Porsche. It can't be a German car. It can be. Be nice. Okay, <laughs> I'm so kidding. Um, I feel like a kid in a candy store all the time because <laughs> actually once a week my dream car changes and it rotates amongst them. And sure. I would say for this week I have two dream cars. One that's more realistically that I can drive all seasons, which would be, sorry Daniel, um, a roof RCT, which is a body in white 964 base car that um with the family business built single turbo and it's just single turbo such a beautiful beautiful car the handling the uh, just how it feels i don't know it's one of my personal favorite cars ever ever actually ever and especially it's so wonderful as a daily because you know you can have fun with it it's a wolf in a sheep skin yeah. but it won't fight you when you're you know slowing down and in traffic in the city. And it also has an emotional tie. Of course. Of course. You got your name written and, on the back of the car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, and the other one, of course, is also a very emotional tie to me would be to have uh, enamel blue 901, which is um, the car I got to grow up in, and we unfortunately don't You had a 901? Anymore. Yeah, my, my father, that was wow. the car that I was taking. My first day of school was... That's my the, uh, the reason I'm saying that is people who know Porsches know there aren't many 901s no, out there. No, there's there only a hundred of them. That was one of the first part of There's only a hundred of them, aren't they? Before Peugeot hit them with the yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah, know how yeah. many. They say there's only a handful that survives. So. How many? How many uh, have you gone through your family? Do you know of? Um, we currently have two in the family. Okay. But my father loves restoring cars as well. So that was a car that I got to grow up in. Wow, that's I pretty would love cool. To have that. In my garage. Again. Very cool. Yeah. So it's kind of in your DNA. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. 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 How does it drive? Have you driven your the, the yes, one that's um that's also very funny. I drove it before we had to sell it, and I was thirteen, <laughs> and I told my dad I was like, because I didn't I didn't have a driver's license, obviously, but I told him, you know, before you sell this, I just want to know what it feels like to drive it mm-hmm. before it goes. So sat on his lap, and I got to steer. That's sweet. <laughs> as that's much cool. as I can tell you, I don't know how it drives. Yeah. But very See, that's that's probably something that you guys have never been able to experience. When I was growing up, we always did that. Safety was not an issue back <laughs> then, you know. I would sit in my dad's lap. He would operate the pedals, and I would steer the car, and that's how we did it. We drove everywhere. And then when I got tired, you know, the deck uh, on the top of the rear seat mm. where the rear window is, I would lay up there. I mean, a perfectly safe spot to... You know, if yeah. he put on the brakes, I'd go <laughs> right through. Just <laughs> smack the front screen. My dad had a, um, so. had a game he'd play with me as a kid when I'd get bored in the car on long drives. He says, okay, let's play automatic gearbox. And I go, okay, let's go. So I'd have to shift for him. So he'd just drive and I would that's shift so with my funny. left hand. <laughs> <I> <laughs> that's, like so, that's the ultimate lazy dad <laughs> like play. I love it. <laughs> no, but I can drive in England now. Right hand drive. It's, oh, it's there you go. Fun, See? You know, but yeah, mm. different times, I guess. Mm. <laughs> 
Well, Dana, Anyways. it's been an absolute pleasure having you no, on. No, the pleasure's been all mine, seriously. Thank you for you putting know? up with our new experimental setup. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I mean, this was this was great. This yeah. was special. I, you know, I, even though we worked together, I never had a chance to sit down, talk you with go. you guys, gals, and uh, you know, this has been thank a you pleasure. It's been absolute awesome. Well, thanks so much again for joining us, and we'd like to thank you for tuning into our first televised program. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. Tell your homies and your friends about this, and to tell Daniel he looks like Trey Young. All right, thank you so much for tuning in. Take care, everybody.